the cancel culture cult. Try to say that three times fast. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. Welcome to the 21st century cult of cancel culture. We have now unleashed on our society here in the United States and Canada and the United Kingdom and Australia and pretty much most of Western Europe, we have literally tapped into demonic forces of madness and insanity that are sweeping our educational system, our medical system, our politics, our government, even some of our churches, all in the name of the cancel culture. If the tech giants don't believe in what you're saying, they will restrict what you can say. Now, before you get into this, but it's a private company and everything else, they're, they're living under protections like they're, like they're a forum, not a publisher. They need to decide which one they are. They can't have it both ways. In the past 50 years, the left has tried. They've tried to turn our nation into some kind of a strange socialistic nanny state where every aspect of our lives, from the time we are born until the time we die, and in some cases they, they may be trying to make it sooner, they want to have control. We hear about the woke culture. Well, guess what? I'm awake now too. And I'm thoroughly awake to the real and present danger that this cancel culture poses to our Constitution, to you who are listening, our First Amendment, these rights that were guaranteed in our Constitution, that even those on the left in our government are trying to subdue, restrict, and eventually remove. Now, if you had told me that 50 years ago, I would have thought you're crazy. I could never believe the day would come in my lifetime, but here we are. They're trying to, on the left, and understand, there are billionaires on the left, and they, they're they exempt from all the rules that you and I are now being forced to live underneath. And there lies the difference. They are exempt from their own rules. They thoroughly believe that. Look at Gavin Newsom, California. Remember, he went off to that fancy restaurant where they were all sitting side by side, nobody wearing a face covering. That's for the little people. That's not for people like me and my friends. We are exempt. But if you tried to open up your restaurant to people not wearing a mask, you might go to jail in California. The cancel culture is using the power of of the tech giants and the media hand in hand with forces within our own government that are trying to fundamentally destroy the nation we had and substitute a nation of true enslavement. I'm telling you, this is sheer madness. If you say something nowadays on Twitter, Facebook, and you don't meet to the approved standard, you are canceled. There is a effort made to make you look like an evil person in the eyes of others. People will try to get you fired from your job. 
kicked out of country clubs or any other social organization. Just because you don't agree, you become a pariah. Just because you don't believe in some of the cult of COVID, and that's a cult now too. And Dr. Fauci is its, you know, anointed leader. Fauci the fraud, the father of the virus, is a, is a cult god. Watch him on CNN or CBS or MSNBC. They literally worship at, at Fauci's feet. They hang on every word he ever says, even though we know, we know full well that he's gotten more wrong than he ever got right and continues to do so. And we also now know he lies. He has failed to tell the truth. We also know that he, well, let's say he got in bed with China to cover up the real origins of this virus. And truthfully, he's the father. Gain-of-function studies on the SARS-CoV-1 from 2003 and 4 were his plaything for 10 years until there was a change in our laws in the United States. And then, of course, the it all goes to China with our money. You say that on Facebook, oh, the, the fact-checkers will shut you down. We are in... A real danger in this wokester environment. That's all I can call it. You know, wokeness, wokesters. They use violence in any means necessary to achieve their end. We are now in a country where you no longer can say exactly what you want. You just can't do it. You will be canceled by somebody or something. And this really goes back. Think think to the 1930s in Europe. The idea of freedom of speech. Now remember, the Nationalist Socialist Party of the 1920s and 30s demanded their right to speak. And once they got power, they canceled everybody else's right to free speech. Look at the Democrat Party of today, and I really didn't want to get so political, but I'm just going to say it. For years, they were the party that claimed to champion people's individual inalienable rights. Free speech being one of them. Freedom of association and religion being one of them. And now they are the worst offender to try to take that away from you. They demanded it for themselves the right to speak, the right to say what they want to say, and then they stole it from you. They took it away. You know, I I believe this. We can't allow a handful of people that get upset about something they disagree with taking the power to silence everybody else any longer. If they have the right to say what they want to say, then you and I should have the right to say the things that we want to say. The Constitution never said freedom of speech as long as it is acceptable speech. It doesn't say that anywhere. But now we're trying to add to it. If you ever read the book Animal House, great book. They start out with the idea to introduce communism and this socialism into that new nation on the farm all animals are created equal but eventually 
they kind of cross out a few words and it becomes all animals are created equal, but some are more equal than others. And this has been the tactic that the left has used time immemorial. They try to cancel cartoons. Hey, I watch Roadrunner. I don't drop anvils and bombs on highways. I watch Pepe Le Pew. I don't assault young women. I watched Bugs Bunny. I watched Elmer Fudd. I don't shoot people with shotguns. The absurd cartoons, and that's what they were in my mind, just silly. Now we're taking them seriously? What kind of world do we live in? And I really worry about the world we're going to be leaving our children and our grandchildren if we have a world left to leave. I want to share something here in just a moment, but if you're just tuning in, this is Truth to Ponder, the Wednesday edition, and I'm your host, Bob Bierman. Got a few things that I want to share in the program today. I think you're going to enjoy it. I want to just point out some of the absurdities. Yesterday, we talked about uh, stupid is as stupid does. Now we're just going to talk about it is time to confront the cancel culture, the evil and the madness that we see in this world. It needs to be confronted, exposed for what it is devious. I can understand when people have opinions about a certain topic. There's a guy named Ian Pryor, and he's the former deputy director of public affairs at the Department of Justice, and he's an editor of a, of a few different websites. And he wrote something that I found a couple of weeks ago that I thought was fascinating. And here's what he writes, and maybe you've read this, maybe you haven't, but if you haven't, pay attention Uh, to what I'm going to share here, because I did a little extra research to add to this. And he writes, Two weeks ago, I learned that I had been blacklisted in a local, private Facebook group called Anti-Racist Parents of Loudoun County. Now, Loudoun County is in Virginia. It's in that part of Virginia that is so cobalt blue because of all the government employees that live there, I mean, it is Wokeville to the max. It seems whenever you have a concentration of, of uh, government employees, you have a concentration of wannabe socialistic leaders. Now, the group, according to what he wrote, included six members of the Loudoun County School Board, several teachers, county administrators, the Loudoun County attorney... And a handful of angry, ready for the, I like this line, privileged white women who have become known in that part of Virginia as the uh, Chardonnay Antifa. Let me say that again. The Chardonnay Antifa. It kind of fits. Now, that's what he wrote. Let me remind you of something. The Loudoun County School Board, you may remember them from some things if you happen to watch some news programs want to take you back to January of this year. Now, this school board is very reflective of school boards that I find all over the country, particularly in blue cities and blue states and counties. And I don't care what you say, but when I listen to some of the things that these school boards say, 
I, I realize that our schools are now in the hands of the woke reprobates. When all the science pointed back to getting our schools open, this board kept deciding that the schools need to remain closed. And, and listen, parents were at a school board meeting, and these parents are just about, they've had enough. You're a bunch of cowards hiding behind our children as an excuse for keeping schools closed. The garbage workers who pick up my freaking trash risk their lives every day more than anyone in this school system. Figure it out or get off the podium because you know what? There are people like me and a lot of other people out there who will gladly take your seat and figure it out. The truth be known, these school board leaders and administrators and teachers, I'm going to tell you, their minds are so corrupted with this cancel culture madness They couldn't figure it out. They can't reason anything any longer. They have a retrobate mind. This kind of retrobate mind is running your school board. And besides that, this particular school board has now embraced the the cult of COVID. They've embraced the new cult system of racism and critical race theory. You know, every moment that these schools and teachers spending all this woke social activism nonsense. What's happening? Time to teach history, mathematics, and how to write the English language, basic, real, unwoke science that's not based on emotion and Greta Thunberg's idea of climate awareness. Every time they take time away for this silliness, this social activism... They take away the education of your children and they turn them into nothing but mindless drones unable to think for themselves and dependent upon their iPhones to figure out what they're going to do with their life. Ian continues in his his op-ed piece. This is what he writes. The list was created in response to a call for action against parents who had spoken too loudly for reopening schools or against the Loudoun County school system's implementation of the of critical race theory. These actions requested including uh, mailing campaigns exposing the targets. In other words, these are not people that willfully put themselves into positions of power and authority. They're going after, quote, the common people who disagree. They're going to go after them with mailing campaigns, exposing the target, hacking of their websites if they can pull it off, and they want to raise money for these activities. Of course, there's always got to be money. And he writes, I was listed as a target twice. The first was for speaking out at a school board meeting about concerns that a proposed new teacher conduct code violated their First Amendment rights. The code, as it was proposed, sought to discipline teachers who spoke out against the school's quality to his commitment to equity. And he writes, the code was so poorly written that it could have resulted in disciplining a teacher for complaining about the school curriculum at even a neighborhood cookout. I'm telling you something. A lot of these school boards are out of control 
because too many parents don't pay attention and don't go. They don't watch. They don't read. They just assume schools are like it was when I was there 30 years ago or 50 years ago and, you know, before my grandparents or my grandkids were born. Give you another example. At, at another one of their school board meetings, this is the same Loudoun County school system. A teacher even complained to the board about the endless race obsession at the expense of education. This school district continues to show up on national news and it is absolutely embarrassing to see what once used to be the nation's leading uh, school district has desecrated to. This school district is upon almost every single school district in the nation that continues to force teachers through mandatory training where we are told to examine our whiteness, white privilege, white supremacy, microaggressions upon every other thing that is absolutely stupid and racist. Now, the same school district wants to threaten to fire teachers who do not agree with a critical race theory. You are the face of privilege. You do not speak for us if you do not work with us. If you keep up this racist insanity, you will have successfully stripped us of every ounce of love of teaching. And so far, you have succeeded in doing that. Keep this up and you will lose all of your teachers at the same rate that you have been losing these incredible families who some of you fall asleep when they're trying to get your attention. God bless. I applaud that teacher taking a stand. Unfortunately, many teachers do not agree with what she had to say. And a large number of teachers are too afraid to say a word for fear of losing their job, their tenure, their position, their benefits and all that comes with the profession. The cancel culture is using the power of threatening your job to silence anybody, including a parent or a teacher or just you and I, for daring to disagree. Do you see the pattern? Can you see the issue we have with our education system today? You know, I can remember, I'm going to go back in time here myself, as a young guy working in radio, yeah, I worked in some major markets, but for a while I also worked in in smaller radio markets. And there were times that I would attend a local school board meeting when it when it occurred. And and you never heard any of this woke silliness, nonsense, critical race theory, uh Antifa, Black Lives Matter, just go on and on. You, you never heard about any of this silliness. Uh, the other, I think it was like last week, I'm watching a TV show, and there's some educator in some meeting holding up a little box of Band-Aids and talks about how Band-Aids are racist because they're not black. I never gave it a second thought what the color of a Band-Aid was. If I'm bleeding, I don't care if it's green. But no, Band-Aids are racist now. This is the kind of garbage. These are some of the teachers. And they're the ones that take control of the unions. They're the ones that set the agenda. And then they bring in school board people who love to spend money on their little temples of education to take your child and turn them into the kind of citizen They want them to be. Getting back to the article by Ian Pryor. It's what he writes. 
The second time I was listed by someone who apparently didn't like an op-ed I wrote in The Federalist uh, detailing Loudoun County's implementation of critical race theory. In that article, I highlighted that the school system spent $422,000 on critical race theory consultants to hold a focus group on school grounds that shows participants only on the basis of race. And he took issue with that because it's a violation uh, of, uh, of the United States Constitution. He, he continues. At first, I was livid that people would have added me to this list. Yes, I knew that writing opinion pieces on controversial topics would, would open me to criticism. And that's a risk we all accept when we offer our opinions. I fully embrace that risk. If I'm wrong or there is a perspective I'm missing, by all means, use the marketplace of ideas to civilly say so. But what is not fine is people creating lists of individuals. Kind of reminds me of the Night of the Long Knives in Germany. They had a list of individuals and businesses to target. That's what I'm adding. What he wrote is, it's not fine to create a list of individuals and businesses to target with using illegal activity solely for exercising their First Amendment rights. He's correct. Ian is thoroughly correct. And what I find horrible and troubling is that the school districts think they are above the people they serve and they attempt to often hide what they're really doing from the general public. I can remember school board in South Carolina. They, they wanted to spend money on new school buildings because they failed to take care of the ones that they had in Anderson County, South Carolina. And so they waited for a time they could pull off a a bond issue when nobody would be around to think about it or vote for it, and they snuck it through. $136 million in a county, and this is one of five school districts, by the way, in a county of 200000 That's a lot of money on schools. That's a lot of money we spend, and what do we get for our money? You know, what's troubling is, they, like I say, they think these school boards think they're above it all. One parent in Loudoun County pointed that out. I call out the six school board members, the two board of supervisors, the Commonwealth attorney, even the principal at Briarwoods, all in that anti-racist parents Facebook group. You all remain silent while this mob blacklisted several of your constituents. I was personally attacked. My name, my first name, my last name, where my son goes to school, who my husband is, where I live, and three pictures of me were all on that Facebook page. They wanted to send postcards to our neighbors calling us racist and come to our homes with a megaphone and call us racist. And Beth Bartz, you incited this mob. I blame you for these people, including teachers, to come after us because we have different opposing views. Have you not learned your lesson yet? You've been reprimanded, censured, taken off of committees, and you continue your offensive typing on social media. You will be recalled. We've had enough of your shenanigans. Put our children first. What I'm trying to get you to see is that this particular school board and school leadership and a scary number of the teachers are trying to use subversive measures potentially illegal measures to destroy anybody 
any group or individual that disagrees with them. These are the educrats, the fools, the miscreants. They think they're the rulers over your children. And now I believe firmly they're becoming a, a, a true and present danger to our society. This is what every despot government does. Hitler, Mao Zedong, Stalin, they get a hold of the schools. They get a hold of your children. And they turn your children against you. And we're doing it here in the United States today. I mean, literally, we're doing it in the United States today. The bluer your county or state or city, whatever controls that school district your children are in, the bluer it gets, the worse your education is for your kids. And the more indoctrination they are forced to endure, and they're doing it with your taxpayer money. One parent also to that school board, this was great. This one parent pointed out, board members, teachers, and administrators, they want to they deal with these people in a very uh, despicable manner. In other words, these people have to be dealt with. So we all know at this point that parents who spoke up against Ms. Bartz or the racial labeling policies she supports were added to a list to be dealt with, while Beth and possibly several other board members who were in the group knew full well what was happening. Those of you who saw personal information of families in this county being posted and did nothing, shame on you. Because after all, Ms. Bartz, silence is complicity, right? What the group of keyboard trolls did has nothing to do with Mr. Beatty's comments and everything to do with the lies and meddling on social media by Mrs. Bartz. We all know this, and local law enforcement does now too. Dr. Ziegler, per your email, if LCPS isn't implementing questionable race theories into the classrooms, please explain the video of a Freedom High School teacher belittling a student in class when he didn't use skin color to describe two women in a photo and why a CRT writing lab about whiteness and white fragility and white privilege was being taught there. Enough with the lies. We all see what's going on. Mr. Beatty, thank you for being the one to stand up. I can't imagine a school board, teachers or anybody 30, 40, 50 years ago doing the despicable things that are occurring in Loudoun County to parents. I'm glad to see there are some people and some parents that are willing to stand up to these tyrants, these dictators, these moral reprobates that are running our schools. The problem is far too many parents, you can tell by the voting in those areas, far too many parents are into the wokeness, they're into the stupidity, they're into the silliness, they're into the nonsense. Or they frankly don't care and they just want to get along and be accepted by the woke society around them. Ian continued in his his op-ed piece, and I'm going to finish up here. The lesson he learned from this was that normal, tolerant Americans, which he considers himself to be, have had enough of people glibly tossing terms around like racist, fascist, and sexist. He's right. He's right. What you're seeing from this school board and hundreds, if not thousands of it across the United States is the cancel culture in action to indoctrinate your children, shame any parent or group that disagrees with them, turn the parents into social outcasts, control the narrative, destroy those in their way. Let me tell you something. Wherever you live, don't bow down to this God of the cancel culture. You've got to become a 
cancel culture war yourself against it before it's too late. I'm going to share how this cancel culture is getting into other aspects. I I talked about education, but it's like a cancer that has metastasized in the body. Unfortunately, this cancer is virtually everywhere, and it's going to be fatal. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. Easter is actually a Jewish holy day. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Now, today we continue the resurrection mysteries. There was a day ordained through Moses by God in the Torah that's little known and yet incredible. In Leviticus 23, God speaks through Moses and tells Israel that on the day after the Sabbath of Passover, they're to go out in the field and reap the bikorim, the first fruits of the harvest, and wave it to the Lord as an offering. Now, every year on the day after the Sabbath of Passover, the priests of Israel would go out to the field and with a great ceremony, they'd cut the first sheaf of barley and offer it to the Lord, the first fruits of blessings to come, the Bikorim. Once it was offered to God, the great spring harvest could start. So it was called Yom HaBikorim, the day of the first fruit. Well, what does this have to do with the resurrection? Everything. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, you find that Paul, who was a Jewish rabbi, when he speaks of the resurrection, he calls Messiah the first fruits, or in Hebrew, the Bikorim. That's no accident. It's a mystery. Because the day that Messiah rose from the dead was the Hebrew holy day, Yom HaBikorim. Messiah became the first fruits of new life on the actual Hebrew day of first fruits. And that day was never just a day. It was always the beginning of great blessings to come. So therefore, the resurrection is not just an event. It's the Bikorim. It's the beginning of a truth, a power, a reality, a miracle that goes on and on in the life of all who receive the new birth. And that includes you. So overcome today, my friend, and break through because Yom HaBikorim and the resurrection is just the beginning of a miracle and a power that goes on and on and on in those who walk in its power. Want more? Ask for the resurrection on trial. Now, feeling like your walk could use a spiritual boost? We've got the answer. A free subscription to Sapphire's warning. Use it as directed. It can revolutionize your life. And also the incredible, the mystery of the temple doors, all free. How do you get it? Just remember Jesus' Hebrew name, Yeshua, and dial it. Call 1-800-YESHUA-1. Call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. I invite you to minister with me in two of the most exciting ministries, beaming the word of life around the earth by shortwave radio to every tribe and tongue and to Israel, the Jewish people who gave you the gospel. Just call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct, the nice Jewish boy, Box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey. 07644. That's box 1111 LODI, Lodi, New Jersey, 07644. Till next time, this is Jonathan Khan saying Shalom Lachem, peace be to you, my friend, in Messiah, Haderech, the way. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of our Truth to Ponder program for this Wednesday. I'm looking at all the things that are on my desk, and I've got some things that I want to share. I'm just going to give you a little highlight. Uh, I'm not going to have time to get them into today. We talked about how this school board, and many just like it, let's be honest. It's not just Loudoun County, Virginia. It's everywhere. 
If you're in a blue state, county, or city, it's there. You're dealing with it right now. I'm going to talk about how the cancel culture tomorrow is using the credit score, kind of a social credit score. China's been doing that for a while with its own citizens. If you're a good party line member and you do as you're told, you never complain, you never say anything in opposition, you you are given a decent social credit score, which allows you better cell phones, a little bit more to eat, and you know, you get to live a better life. If you don't abide by the company line, well, then your perks disappear. They're ruling by fear in China. They always have. Every despot government rules by fear. We we saw it in Germany. We, we saw it in the Soviet Union under Stalin and all the way until its collapse. Saw it in Germany in the 1930s. Anywhere a despot government is, they always control using fear. And they also use division to get that fear. People against people. That's why tomorrow I'm going to look at more of the cancel culture from a corporate standpoint, how we're using cancel culture against corporations, and now these woke corporations, full of a lot of billionaires anyway, and leftists to the core because they feel that they are part of the elite, well, you know, if you don't, we'll, we'll cut you off from GoFundMe or or Stripe Financial or PayPal or any of those things if we disagree with what you say. If you go against the coronavirus line, well, you're dangerous. You'll get kicked off Facebook. Look at Gab. It's a, one of those new, it's been around a few years. It's a social media site. Every time they turn around, a bank is saying, we're not going to, we don't want your account. See, the pressure's put on these banks everywhere. We're all going to be feeling a bit of this over time. And I'm going to spend a lot of time on that tomorrow because I think we really need to look at the danger of the cancel culture and how it dovetails with the COVID culture. Or I should say the not just the COVID culture, but the COVID cult. And it has become a cult of mask wearers versus non-mask wearers. Nobody in school, everybody in school. I mean, it's become a divisive point. And the more I look at the numbers, the numbers don't add up. We'll get to that tomorrow. I don't need to do that on today's program. I do have something I do want to share in a few minutes that I think We need to have some hope. I can't always be the bearer of bad news every time I get in front of this microphone. So I've got some positive things to share in just a moment. want to thank all of you that support the program financially to keep it on shortwave. Shortwave is very important. The podcast is, you know, really cheap to put out. That's easy. And there's some people listening as a podcast. And I I can kind of get a, a feel for the numbers. But I also know how many are listening on shortwave. I can tell by the mail that I get and the fact that each month you've been faithful to keep us ahead of the game. I am working on something right now that is just incredible. It could really expand the reach of this program on shortwave. I'm telling you, 
there is some incredible opportunity. I'm working on it right now. Hopefully next week, I'll be able to share just a little bit more information on, on what it is. It's just an opportunity has come, and, and, and my wife and I are actually dipping into some of our retirement funds to, to help expedite this and see if we can make it happen. And I'm praying that this can become an opportunity for sharing some really good news with a lost and dying world. If you believe in the work we're doing here, let me know. Visit our website, truth2ponder.com. Truth, the number two, ponder.com. If you want to send me a direct email, just write bob at truth, the number two, ponder.com. Those emails come directly and only to me. And if you feel led to help us financially, you can do that from the website if it's convenient. As long as we have that opportunity, it's still there. I'll let you know if I get canceled. But a check made payable to Ancient Word Radio, and you can mail it to 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263, in Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. That's... 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263, Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. And I'm going to thank you in advance for your support of this work. All the money received to date, we're just spending on airtime, just so you know. And we have some things that we can expand the ministry with. We'll talk about that next week. I'll let you know about that as soon as I have some, some more confirmation. Okay? Now, getting back getting back to the program at hand. Like I said, I can't always be talking about just the bad news. That's easy. You can put on Fox News, Newsmax, uh, Breitbart, any any of the conservative news sites. You can even go to the New York Times if you really want to be depressed. Go to MSNBC and you really feel depressed. But we don't have to always be so depressed. We have, if you are a believer we have hope and we have confidence that God can see us through. I don't buy into this mentality that, oh, woe is me. There's nothing we can do. The end is here and we're going to suffer and die. Well, so be it. The early apostles called that joy. And we're so into this earthly life, we have forgotten some of the important things. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We need to be clear on that. It was just about four years ago I had the opportunity of sharing a message at a church, actually, here in Georgia, where we are right now. And it was based on the parable of the seed of the sower. And I, I think about that hymn from my childhood, Almighty God, thy word is cast like seed into the ground. Jesus was talking to people that understood, shall we say, agriculture. And they understood the different soils that he mentioned. And I think that too many of us that have never had the gardening experience I have may not follow all of the nuances. But in this message, I want you to begin to understand what it takes to grow seed in good soil. Heavenly Father, as we come to this time that we hear and receive from your word, May our ears be open to hear, our eyes be open to see, our hearts be open to receive. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. 
This parable of the sower is one of my favorite scriptures. And most people that preach on this will spend the time regurgitating, no offense to those that do, everything that Jesus had just said, most of which is pretty self-evident. After all, farmers know they understood everything that Jesus was saying because at the time it was an agricultural society, much like it is in parts of Northeast Georgia and the Western Carolinas. We know that when you take seed and throw it on your driveway, it doesn't grow. We understand when you throw seeds among the weeds, it doesn't work. The weeds choke it out. We can all quickly identify with what Jesus is saying about these various soils, the pathway, the stones, the weeds. We get it. All of us can probably talk about the weeds in our life that can choke out the things we should be doing for the cause of Christ. We get that. The one thing that is seldom said regarding this parable is what is good soil and how did it get there? Think about that. It just doesn't happen. Go anywhere there's a farmer in Rabin County, Georgia, and ask him, does the soil just produce without any effort? <laughs> no. You have to till the soil. In other words, you have to dig in there and expose what was in the darkness under the light. You have to aerate. You have to work. And you have to weed it so we don't get the thorns, the thistles, and the weeds to come back in, which they will do. Good soil takes preparation, and good soil takes maintenance. We sometimes forget that. The soils were not a static condition. Good soil doesn't stay that way forever. And a pathway can be torn up and made good soil. The rocks can be removed. The weeds can be pulled. Good soil can be made anywhere if you put your mind to it. I've been thinking about this congregation since I arrived here, what, about a month ago. And the job that I now have as your pastor to do the things God would have me do with this church to make sure the legacy and the mission and the purpose of this church endure long after I'm called home to glory. And I started thinking about the characteristics of a church, and it lends itself to this concept of good soil. The things that we do to prepare the soil of this place for people to receive and hear the Word of God. You look at the characteristics of churches in this day and age. I do a radio show that is heard around the world on shortwave and online and a few other radio stations. And I often talk about what I call the post-Christian Western world. You see it in Europe. You see it in the United States, North America. This post-Christian era that we kind of live in. Christianity is not the foremost thing anymore in the hearts and minds. Europe has been leading the way as they increasingly depart from the faith in the things that they do, yet there are still those that are very committed believers, even in the, that part of the world, in spite of it, where it becomes more difficult. 
See, over there, the cares of the world, the concerns have become more important than God's Word. And so we chase after the wealth. We chase after all these things, and the other's no longer important. It's shoved to the side. I'm looking at what we do. What impact can a church like this have in this community year-round, all the time? And how do we become a beacon of light? How do we become a place of hope, a place of joy, a place of healing, a place of growth? And sometimes it's the little things that we do in a church that do a lot of harm and we don't even see we're doing it. I would say, and what I'm saying here, this is no slam on this church or any other church, just the bad habits we kind of get into. I noticed one this week, and it got me thinking even more toward this sermon. And once again, it's nobody's fault. It's a natural human thing, and it's just how we're conditioned. Remember, I come in with a new set of eyes. I haven't been here. So I'm looking at the announcements, and I'm seeing a bunch of first names for people. See this person. See that person. Who are these people? I don't even know them yet. And how many churches have you looked at a bulletin and say, see John? See Bill? Ed knows. <laughs> Okay, unless you're wearing a name tag, I'm in a heap of trouble. So I made a little change in the bulletin to put the full name and title, so it kind of gives you a head start. We don't realize that sometimes in a small church, we become so intimate with each other that we don't recognize that those that come in here are not up to speed. I'm not up to speed, and I'm working on it, and I'm here almost every day. It's good when a church has that intimacy and friendship. I kind of like smaller churches over bigger ones. Bigger ones are like stadiums. You get lost in the crowd, and you become nothing more than observers and not participants. I like participation in a service. I like to, I like to feel that we are getting something accomplished in our time together. In fact, I'll just kind of toss this in. I've been looking at how we have structured our liturgy in this church, and I've been working uh, with Paul to see, can we kind of reorganize this just a little bit so it flows smoother, easier? Even I'm having a hard time trying to follow along where the natural flow of the service goes from one thing to the next to the next. And it makes it easier for all of us to understand what we're doing. We're not jumping to this and then jumping over here to that. St. Paul says, do all things decently and in order. And we have the right things that are decent. I just want to kind of put them into order so it's easier for us to follow and then easier for us to be engaged and not be as fumbly as we're trying to work our way through the service. And I think we've come up with a way to do that, and you'll begin to see that in the next couple of weeks. Just, they're not major changes, they're minor changes. But once again, good soil. How do we become good soil? I, I noticed something in our liturgy that I don't think anybody ever noticed when it got assembled years ago. There's something crucial, very crucial, that is missing. If you look at the bulletin, you may not notice it right away. But this week, as I was kind of looking at it to help format it a little bit for the, you know, to fit stuff in better on the page, it caught my attention. 
When do we as a congregation take the time to pray for the needs of our people, the nation, and all those around us? We don't. We will starting today. Mark my words. There are people in this church that have needs. There are people in this church that are suffering something of a sickness, a disease, difficulties in their own personal life. This is the place, if we're good soil, let's start digging through the soil here and start doing the things that a church is supposed to do. One of my sermons a couple of weeks ago, I said the hardest thing for a stranger to do is to walk through the doors of a church because they don't know what they're getting into. One of the things that I'm working diligently on is to really upgrade the web page. I will create a video. I want people to be able to go to a website and know so much about this place before they get there. You know, think about the little things we're talking about before, about getting good soil, all these, prep, these preparations. Women in particular, what do I wear when I go there? Sounds silly, but it's true. It's very true. Do I, if I visit a church, do I wear my collar? Do I wear a suit and tie? Can I wear blue jeans and a comfortable, you know, shirt? I don't know. How do you know? We're going to let people know before they get here. I want people to have visited the website and ready to walk in the door like they've been here before. That's how we need to be. It's a great thing that we in the core of this congregation know each other, can talk to each other, can share with each other. But it's more important that we be able to relate the, to those that come in and not put them on the spot and make them feel bad. Make them feel welcome. Welcome home. We have a place for you here. And God called you here for a purpose, to receive his word. And we will work with you and pray with you that you become that good soil that can produce. I'll close on this thought because we have communion. I don't want to take too long. And I'll probably continue this theme next week regarding this world we live in. And I'm going to get into next week a little bit more about the various generations that, that make up our society today. We, we hear about the great generation, those born before 1928, and the silent generation from 28 to roughly 1946. Then my generation, the baby boomers that come along later up to the early to mid-60s, then Generation X. And now we have Generation Y, the millennials, and, and even there's a division within that group. We don't even know where the beginning or ending of the millennials is. Some say it started in 1980. I think really the true millennials start more around 1990. We've got a little group kind of in between the 70s and 90s that if you begin to break down the attitudes and the things they do. And I, I've lived through a time where I was born when television had started. And I've been involved in technology and I was doing computers in 1976. I've been around that a while. So I saw this coming. And now we have a group that lives for a device in a virtual world. And how do we make this church relate to that group? How do we make it relate to all those groups? And it can be done. It can be done. And my final thought. How we act toward one another. Imagine being invited to somebody's house for dinner and the couple is arguing in the kitchen. How do you feel when you're sitting in the other room? A little awkward. 
we as Christians need to be in a congregation at one with each other. Because if we're at one with each other, then we can really witness and show our faith. That's where it begins. This church has got some great days ahead. I know it. I would never have accepted the call here had I not believed that with all my heart, my soul, and my mind. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to, to share in your word. And hopefully something that I said today will have meaning to somebody here in this place that they can take with them. Lord, I hope the words will encourage this church and its growth, but even more so those that are visiting today to take something they heard today back to their, their home church and plant that seed to help that church grow and become good soil. Lord, let us be faithful stewards of all the gifts you've given us in Jesus' name. Amen. to believe that I shared that message just about just about four years ago and how much has changed in that time that particular church well some of the people got the message many of them never did they acted like they had all the time in the world and they didn't have any responsibility to to reach anybody in their community they didn't think that was their job they never grasped the concept that the work of a local church is not the paid employee only. It is a shared responsibility. Sure, pastors get paid in many cases because even the Bible says those that uh, live by the gospel should be paid by the gospel. I mean, you don't just say because the guy's in ministry, he starves to death. In Proverbs chapter 9, couple of verses. I want you to listen carefully to this. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. You know, our schools in America used to teach those basic concepts. Now they don't. They've, over 50 years, those that control education now, 
look at what I call the administrator class. We have more administrators today than we had 30, 40, 50 years ago. Big salaries. They go to the woke universities. And the things of God are now diminished in our society. And it reflects in too many of our churches. Now, thankfully, the virus did a couple of good things and a lot of bad things. One of the good things was it separates the the sheep from the goats at times. Some of the churches that have a social gospel where they are more concerned about the planet Earth and worshiping it than worshiping the Creator, frankly, if they go out of business and shut down, I'm fine. I had a strange dream about a week ago. And I couldn't tell you what the town is supposed to be, but I I come into this town, small town, there are three beautiful churches all next to each other. And I'm going to tell you about this dream maybe tomorrow. It, It would take a little bit too long. The wisdom that God laid on my heart what it all means has a lot of meaning for us today we have a responsibility to do whatever little thing is that we can do to be a part of sharing the good news of the gospel many churches just assume things will be fine we'll somehow get along and come february of last year some places oh the virus is bad we need to we'll, we'll close down for a week or two I don't think many of the churches that shut down for a week or two expected to be closed 52 weeks later or restricted 52 weeks later. It's insanity. Some of the things that have happened. And we learn where the where our faith really is. Are we trusting Almighty God? Are we are we, you know, are we trusting Fauci in all of this? Which is more important, Fauci or the Word of God? Fauci or our faith, you know, make a choice. Which is more important? Saw a very disturbing story not long ago. And this was a, a woman who was pregnant. And she decided to attend church with her children. They were doing all the social distancing stuff like they're supposed to, but she was not able to wear a mask. They called the police to get her out of there. I guess the church is where the virus must be spreading. Jesus must be infected and infecting those that worship him in spirit and in truth. I will tell you, this is my opinion. If you're truly worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, his protection is upon you. Is your faith in God? your faith in Fauci. Do you believe in what we're doing here at this ministry? Let me know. You can reach us at our website. If you want to help us financially, you can make a check to Ancient Word Radio, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263, Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.